The question is, have you ever been driving down the highway and see someone fly past you? Or someone driving really erratically, switching lanes, just acting real dangerous? You're driving down the road and you're just kind of annoyed with the situation because they're just being reckless and dangerous and it's frustrating. And then all of a sudden you see that same vehicle off on the side of the road with flashing lights behind them. How does that feel in that moment? Do you feel good? Do you take joy and kind of delight somewhat in that moment? I think a lot of us, whenever we see someone doing that we think is reckless or dangerous or awful, we feel... Uh, this sense of need for them to have to deal with the consequences of their actions. It drives us crazy for someone to just do something that's dangerous, reckless, inconsiderate, uh, illegal, so many other things, and not have to deal with the consequences. And so when we get in that moment, it just feels kind of good, right? It's funny, I've been reading through the Psalms, and I, I, I just here lately been in the Psalms, and I keep hearing this kind of phrase, like, my enemies, make them pay for what they're doing. Like, I know you're going to deal with them. I can't deal with them. Like, they're, they're God, I trust you that you're going to humiliate them. You're going to destroy them. You're going to bring them to ruin. Like, you'll take care of the problem. And there's this sense of, like, God, give them what they deserve. And I think part of us kind of likes that vibe, you know? Like, uh, there's part of us that really loves this concept of justice. If you pay, if you commit the crime, you should pay the time, right? If you make a bad decision, you should have to deal with the consequences of said decision. Some of that's healthy and beneficial. Like, if my kids continue to do the wrong thing, I want them to receive some level of punishment at times because they need to learn from their actions that that's going to cause problems. And so they need to learn that this is detrimental. And so we know that that's healthy for people growing and learning. And so we want that for them. Yet at the same time, we look at the big picture of Scripture and we see this Old Testament kind of model and we think for so long there's the law, there's this concept of people doing bad things, not living up to the law, continuing to fall short, and God saying, you got to get it straight or I'm going to bring the consequences. And we think, man, they just couldn't get it figured out, could they? And it's really easy for us to sit back at this distance in light of Jesus and the cross and the grace that he offers because we know that through Jesus there's grace, there's second chances, there's other opportunities And we know that, thankfully for us, we've been saved and we we committed sins. We've fallen short. But it's really easy to look back at the Old Testament and go, man, those guys just couldn't get it figured out, could they? And yet, at the same time, do we get it figured out? And we say, well, I've still got a long way to go, but I've got grace. How do we wrestle with this whole picture of wanting justice and wanting people to pay for the things they do, but also believing that grace is good for us? And how do we balance that out? Because you can't abuse God's grace and just keep doing whatever you want, right? And so today we want to talk a little bit about navigate through that concept because our key verse, our memory passage today is Ephesians chapter 2. You're going to have to look these up yourself. I'm sorry, I'm on the screen instead of words, so I apologize. But our memory passage is, For grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Nothing you could do. Some of you may already have that one memorized. It's one we've heard a bunch. It's a familiar concept to us. 
And so we need to talk about this idea of grace. There's a passage I came across this week um, in John, and this passage is in John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. This idea is something I think that we grab a hold of in our head, and we often think this is kind of how things work. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. We've all received grace upon grace. In the fullness of who Jesus is, we've got this incredible gift. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we hear something like that, and I think we get in our mind, and especially in light of reading through the Bible, we sometimes think that the Old Testament version of God was somehow different than the New Testament version of God. That grace enters the scene when Jesus enters the scene. And that grace is this new concept where now, yes, I made mistakes. Yes, I fell short of what was expected of me in the commandments. Yet there's hope for me to get it right again because by grace I've been saved. What's that word mean? This idea of grace. Let's, let's unpack that for a second. This word grace is really this concept of a gift that's being given that I don't deserve. When I look at this picture and this idea of justice and, and what I deserve, what I deserve because of how I live, the selfishness in me, the way I treat other people as I pursue taking care of myself, the way I ignore other people in light of trying to take care of myself, what I deserve is not great. When I really look at how self-centered I am and how full of myself that I can be and how worried about my own finances or my own schedule or my own just me, 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 hoard, 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 let me have something for myself, what can I gain for me? When I look at all of that, what do I deserve for being that way? When I think about God's commandments and how I have idolized other things and put them above Him or more in a higher place of priority above Him, when I let other things become the idols that I that drive and steer my ideology or my understanding of the world more than I let His Word drive that. When I think about the picture of who I am, what do I deserve? It's not a pretty picture, is it? What I deserve is spelled out in Romans chapter 3, for the wages of sin is death. We talk about the Old Testament and what God was doing whenever he says, hey, you guys have sinned, I'm going to send you into exile. Hey, you all, I've warned you and warned you and warned you, and here's, I'm going to hand you over to your wicked ways. Like, there's consequences of those actions. We hear this version of God's wrath and that the wages of our sin is death and that God is angry, and we have this picture in our minds of God just sitting there with a checklist going, okay, I'm going to add that one to the list. I'm going to add that one to the list. I'm going to add that one to the list. I'm going to add that one to the list. And we live in fear. What if I don't realize that one got added to the list and I forgot to say I'm sorry for it? Like, what if I never get a chance to say I'm sorry for it before I die? Because the, the checkbook has to be balanced at the end of the day or I'm afraid I might miss out. And we start living in the fear and anxiety of what is our status with God. We know there's grace, but have I extended past that grace? Because I know that just because grace abounds doesn't mean that I can keep on sinning. Should I just let sin abound all the more? No. Like, because grace abounds all the more? No. I can't, I can't just keep doing whatever I want because there's grace. I think we understand that concept and we think we know that we deserve 
the consequences we deserve, death. But I think sometimes we undersell this beautiful picture of grace. It is a gift that we don't deserve. And we read John 1 and we say, Moses brought the law, and the law highlighted all the stuff I'm terrible at. But grace came along and gives me a second chance, gives me a way out. We talked about the resurrection giving us new life and hope that death no longer rules and that Christ has overcome death. And through this grace, this second chance, this gift I don't deserve, I can take that gift and pursue life with Christ. But I also want to make sure we understand that God didn't suddenly just become gracious when Jesus hits the scene. In fact, if you remember, we've talked about this idea so many times of Exodus 34, where God says to Moses, Here I am. I'm the Lord, the Lord, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Gracious, slow to anger. God, when he is presenting his very character back in the book of Exodus to Moses, he's showing he's patient, he's kind. The very first thing, even in the garden, right after Adam and Eve get kicked out, did you ever catch what God does? They're ashamed of their nakedness. They are living in guilt and shame because of their sin. Do you know what God does? He fashions clothes for them. Animals die on their behalf so that the skins can be used to cover their shame, to take care of the problem. And God provides. What they deserve is to be kicked out of the garden. What they deserve is to lose this relationship, yet God is still providing and caring for them. He is gracious, slow to anger, still with them, still helping them learn and walk and grow. God didn't just suddenly become gracious. It is part of the very nature of who he is. Now, that same line says that doesn't mean he's not just. It doesn't mean he lets sin go unpunished. He continues to say justice is important. But listen, through my son Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, all of those line items that we think are being written down are checked off and forgiven. Let me read that passage in Ephesians again. In fact, this time, let's read the entire passage surrounding it in context and see exactly what it is Paul is saying here. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead. The wages of sin is death. What you were living out was a life of death and misery. You were living for yourself, dead to the ways of Christ. The wages of sin is death. You were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were following the same path everybody else follows. We were giving in to the ruler of this world who says, no, live for yourself. Take that fruit. You can be like God. You can know good and evil for yourself. You can decide what's right and what's wrong. You can take those ways and continue to live and walk in that way of death. We all did it. All of us. Paul's saying it right here. All of us lived by those passions and by those ways. But God, being rich in mercy... 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let me say that one more time. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, you were made he made us alive together with Christ by grace. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the gift you have been given, the gift you have been given sets you free from those trespasses before you ever did a thing. How, well, what if I don't pray? You can't do anything to fix the problem. Well, I just don't feel like I'm a very good Christian. You, you can't do anything to earn your way into his good graces, to be seated at the right... Like, you can't do anything to be seated in that position. Let me say this again. You cannot do anything to get into the position that you want to be in in terms of spending eternity with Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do. And that sounds hopeless, but it is the beauty of the hope you've been given. There's literally nothing you can do. It's all about what He can do and the grace He is offering you, the gift He is giving that you definitely do not deserve, and the gift that you still don't deserve. Let's be clear. Just because you said a prayer, just because you were obedient in baptism, just because you attend church regularly, just because you crack open your Bible every once in a while, you still do not deserve the gift. The good works you do still don't earn you any favor so that no man can boast. There's nothing you can do that's going to give you that favor. Let me keep reading this. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's the passage that we are supposed to memorize. For by grace you have been saved through faith. You have been saved just by faithfully showing up and saying, I believe you, I trust you, I'm here, I'm loyal. I believe that there's nothing I can do. My faith is simply this. I'm showing up. I am faithful to be here and be loyal and believe that I am a hopeless mess without you. That there's nothing I could ever do to be the right version of who I want to be. And so I'm going to, by faith, and because of your grace and and just being faithful and loyal to say, I believe that, I'm going to show up and receive this gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, a gift you did not deserve, grace. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's tag that verse 9 in there. Not a result of works, so that no man can boast. But listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. Let me say that one more time. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's not by anything you've done or by any works or any accomplishments or anything you could do that you are saved. Only the cross 
and the promise of Jesus give you this gift of justification, of justice being served. Jesus basically says, I know he owes a great debt, but God, I know you're gracious and slow to anger. In fact, that's why so long you've been working out this master plan to send me to offer hope. Because no matter what law we gave them, that was only going to highlight how broken they were. It wasn't ever going to save them. It was just going to show them how broken they were. Moses brought the law, and it just shined this massive light on how broken humanity is. Our news shines a great light on how broken humanity is. And the problem is we sometimes see that great light shining on the rest of humanity, and it's easy to stand behind the light and try to shine it around and say, oh, look at all the brokenness. But we got to turn that spotlight around and say, listen... It's not because I was great. I am no better than any of those people I'm watching on the news and bad-mouthing. I'm no better. For it is by grace I have been saved through faith. Not by anything I've done so that no one can boast. Nothing I have done since I've been saved makes me better than anyone else. It's not earning me anything. But I was saved and brought to this place because God has always intended for me to do good works. So through the grace I've been given, through this second chance, this opportunity of new life through the resurrection of Jesus, through this new life he calls me to live, I can now step into relationship with him. I can now see his image and what it means to be like him. I can prioritize that and continue to show up faithfully because I'm in awe of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance and the on and on and on. All the chances he's given me, I am in all of them, and so I'm just thankful, and I keep showing up. I just keep showing up, and that's being faithful. And in the midst of that gift, he's saying, come, be transformed into my likeness, be radically changed, be resurrected into new life, and start participating now in the good works, not because you're trying to earn something, but because you see what story you're a part of. You see what purpose you have been a part of. You see what my desires were for you, and now you're going to step into them. Because you now see the joy of the gift I've given you, why I gave you this gift, so that you could be like me and be a part of the kingdom I'm building. Now you can step into the tasks I've called you to beforehand long before you ever said yes. I've been preparing this for you. Not so that you can earn something, but so that you can participate in what you were always intended to participate in in the first place. Paul says more on this subject in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-10. through 10. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in the suffering. This is hard work. Share in the joy of the kingdom and the ministry and the things we're doing. It will be challenging. It might produce suffering. There will be hardship that comes along the way, but through that suffering you can grow in my image and likeness. You can learn how to faithfully hold on to me through the hardships that come. Share in my suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, 
not which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, not, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's been manifested through the appearing of Jesus Christ, but this grace he has given us before the ages began, long, long ago, God has been gracious. It is a part of his very nature. He is good and gives us second chances and calls us to do good works in the image we bear like him. And so this is what I need to say today. Number one, we need to stop trying to earn some place next to him. There is nothing you can do that is going to make you good enough. It is not about working our tail off to receive the gifts of God. It is about surrendering to the goodness of what he's already offered and saying, here I am, use me. I trust in your grace and I will faithfully show up to live in it. I will try to do better. I will try to grow in your likeness and your image. But I know I'm going to fail. I know I'm going to fall short. It's not my intention to just keep on sinning because it doesn't matter, but it is my intention to celebrate and praise you for the grace you give me, the ways I will fail. And the second side of this for some of us is not just the inward work we need to do to forgive ourselves, to live in grace, to put down the shame and guilt and trust in the good grace of Jesus, but the other side of it is we need to learn how to bear his image by extending that same grace to the rest of the world. I still don't like it when the guy zooms past me. I still kind of like it when I see him pulled over because I hope he learns a lesson and stays safe. I don't want him to hurt people. It's not that I want bad things to happen to him. I want to protect and see good things to happen to other people, I hope. It shouldn't be the evil little laughter in me. It's like, ha ha, you got what you deserve. Because then we're wishing that our enemies just be destroyed. And I'm not saying it was wrong for the psalmist to write that. But we need to remember what scripture says is the real enemy. The real enemy is not flesh and blood. It's the dark principalities, the evil in this world that would push us down and crush us and cause us to focus on ourselves, to cause us division. To look at each other and say, oh, they're nothing but losers. They're the worst. They're awful. I'm going to condemn and throw them down and to the side and say they're awful. That isn't how we're called to live. To extend the same kind of grace and the same desire for well-being. Gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love to generation after generation. That's what we're called to be. And so when we look at our world, I know all of us in this room can think of a few different demographics, people. In the midst of all the culture wars that are happening right now, there's a side in some issue that we're worried about and stressed about. And in the midst of all those wars, it becomes really easy to condemn others and to be in that seat saying, well, I hope they get what they deserve. And that's not God's desire or heart for us. He wants us to see the world as he does. A a world that, like we said last week, he desires for all to come to know him. And so writing someone off because they see the world differently or have different perspectives or views, or we think they deserve something, just remember what I deserve. Remember what you deserve. All of us deserve the same thing. And Jesus marked off all of those debts the same for them and for me. Not because we deserved it, but because he said he loves us and calls us to be his own. And so for the same grace we have benefited from, 
We have to extend that same grace back to others. If you would, bow your heads with me for a moment. I just want you to take just a moment and say, God, am I still living in the guilt and shame? Not actually trusting the goodness of your gift and your grace, not actually believing that you're gracious, but somehow still worried that you are ready to throw down that lightning bolt and hit me the moment I step out of the line. The living in the fear of what did I not say I'm sorry for that I missed along the way. Am I still living in that guilt, shame, and fear? If so, can you help me to see where that is and help me to believe in and trust in and receive the goodness of your grace? Just pray that for a moment. And in that same way, just ask that simple prayer. God, is there someone, some people, some group Is there someone in my life who I find it impossible to show grace to, to offer grace to, to see in the light of your grace? Bring their face to my mind and help me to understand how I could live your grace towards them. Father, this morning I just pray for each and every individual in the room that they would know the goodness and fullness of your grace that they would realize, despite their best efforts, they are still not earning any additional favor. But that, Father, when they come to realize the joy of who you are, the joy of what it means to follow you, the beauty of who you are, the desire in their heart to want to know you and be with you and to become like you, that they won't be able to help but to be faithful and be transformed and become people who truly bring a smile to your face and joy to your heart, because they've realized the point, not of earning something for their own namesake, not trying to take hold of some fruit for themselves, but the idea of surrendering for the sake of knowing their God. I pray that you would help each and every one of us to be that faithful, to rest in your grace this morning. And I pray that you would help us to live in that grace in a way that doesn't cause us to see ourselves more as higher up than we ought to or in some way that we feel like, well, they haven't figured this out. They haven't prayed. They haven't been dunked. They're on the outside looking in. I pray that they would be on our hearts all the more, that our heart would be filled with love and compassion and grace all the more because we know they are in the true grip of the true enemy. And that, Father, we want the best for them, not for them to live some moral guideline that we see as best for them, but, Father, I pray that we would want them to know the Savior that we love and see as good. That if we truly believe you are good and your way is good and you are a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, that we would want to introduce others to you. Help us to see the world through your eyes and through that perspective. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.